Hello and welcome to Walton Biz Talk. I'm Ryan Sheets, Director of the Business Communication Lab here at the Walton College of Business. And today I'm talking about professionalism with a Walton alum, Ryan Meeks. Ryan and I are discussing how to be yourself while also finding out how you fit into a larger organizational culture or structure. Hope you enjoy it. When we when we chatted last, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you said you wanted to talk about was how to be a millennial professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you could you provide some thoughts on on what that means to you? Sure. I think I honestly feel like we're kind of an interesting, I'll say, crossroads with the business world. I think right now you have a dichotomy of the workforce. At least I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have quite a few people who are in the boomer generation or, or thereafter that are exiting the workforce um, or on the way out. And um, we've got a lot of younger talent that's entering the workforce. And I think it, it just presents an interesting, uh, like I said, dichotomy of not only you know, different experiences, but different ways to communicate, different ways to um, express yourself, emote. And then also a lot of different perspectives on how to be professional. Yeah. Um, for me, um, one of the things that really gripped me first was just the overarching thought of, um, you know, we're, we're, we were taught as growing up, you know, generalization is not good. Like, don't generalize people, right? Right. Um, don't, don't typecast people. Don't stereotype them. Um, and in, honest, in all honesty, I've seen many situations where um, maybe the opposite wasn't taught to previous generations, <laughs> uh, where you know you almost get like put into this box of you are part of the millennial generation, and so every negative th- attribute or thought right. that I had towards them, whether it's inherently lazy or you're 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 part of a generation that is uh, very needy or you know undeserving of things, but yet you feel entitled. Uh, those things are things that I th- I see closely get translated to me um, yeah. it's been a challenge to withhold my composure in a situation where I I challenge people and I don't just mm-hmm. let it go right of course how do you challenge people on it sure so I think I asked them ultimately really what a where where are you getting this from right, right. so I think if you're observing it from people you've worked with in the past I think that's the first challenge right there is yeah. you know you, those people aren't me but if there are things that are rational that I'm doing wrong or not incorrectly but maybe I'm doing that are giving you those signals I'd like to know about them because I want to change my behavior the last thing I want to do is fall into a typecast of sure you're being you know you're you're expect you have high expect over over exceeding expectations for you know your role what what a company should do for you or what the people around you should have as yeah. expectations for you or maybe you're you you know not putting enough value on the work that you do and you're you know slacking off and things like that and if those are ever the case I definitely let them know I'm not going to be offended if you call me on that because yeah. honestly irregardless of your I should say regardless of your um Stance in the I'm workplace. Not the Excuse me. <laughs> it's, it's actually funny. Um, regardless of where you are in the spectrum, whether you're a part of the gener- the generation that's young entering the workplace now, or one that's been in the workplace yeah. 35 years, constructive criticism is positive. So, uh, organizational culture. How how have you found your place? So, in all honesty. I think it was and really. How long did it take to? That's the other thing. That's a good point. Because I think that's something um, 
especially graduating seniors or those of you who are currently in the workforce now or who are going to be interning. That's that's useful to know for expectations. I think that you want to definitely be yourself. I think that's the first and foremost mm-hmm. thing that I would say in order to find your place in a culture, you have to find who you are yeah. in that workplace first, right? Unfortunately, fortunately, whatever it be, I spent a lot of my uh, working years before, you know, during college, before college, um, when I was just trying to afford gas money to go see the right. girlfriend or, you know, things growing up. I spent a lot of that time in customer service type of roles, um, whether at a uh, you know, fast food restaurant here mm-hmm. or a car rental place here. Um, none of those things really translated, quote unquote, directly to the business world. None, none of this fast moving consumer goods industry that we live in here in Northwest Arkansas, uh, transportation logistics, none of those things really were in my past. So what I had to do was take the little bits that I did have of customer service and things like that, um, how to provide that customer service. And I had to find myself in the new environment first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ultimately also I had to be willing to accept that as hard as it was for me, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to form fit to, to a role. I was going to make the role fit me, if that makes any sense at all. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's one of the things that defines this gen or differentiates this generation from previous ones. You know, you could, and I agree, I think you could easily get caught up in a title. And at first Mm -hmm. I didn't, I I had such an open title of analyst, retail analyst, that it actually hurt me, right? One of the things that Hmm. I really liked about college was that there was structure to it. Yeah. There was an expectation that you have this assignment. Here are the parameters of said assignment. Here's the grading scale of the assignment, the rubric from which you're going to be assessed. Yeah. And that's not to say that the real world isn't like that because there are definite parameters of what you can and can't do um, and how to go accomplish something. But I think ultimately the structure or lack thereof within the workforce was challenging for me. And that actually sh- kept me back that kept me from really thriving for maybe the first year, year and a half hmm. of my role. Um, I think part of that was not understanding really how I did fit into the corporate structure Yeah. because there was such a generalization of, hey, Ryan, we just need you to go and do. But I didn't know first. Right. I didn't know the 101, 102, and I was being asked to really be able to internalize all of those things as I was making mistakes on the fly, which is completely acceptable mm-hmm. in our workplace and, and in, in any workplace that wants to advance. You know, failure is obviously acceptable, but I struggled with not knowing how to do 201 because I didn't know mm-hmm. 101 and 102. Right. And I didn't have that direct, uh, you know, lean in approach from. I didn't feel that lean-in approach from the sure. people around me. So yeah, definitely put me back. It was challenging to find it. So I said one thing there The, the really I think is key is be yourself. Right. So I struggled. Not the role. No, exactly. I struggled really hard because I tried really hard to find myself in that role. Mm-hmm. And it should have worked the other way around. I should have tried to be myself and make the role fit me play to my strengths until there was a point where someone was giving me legitimate feedback to tell me, hey, you're not, we need you to do this, you're not doing that, right? Right. So the things that I feel like I'm competent at or proficient at or even advanced at, probably more in the 
you know, we've talked about this, the communication side, verbal communication. Right. Uh, written communication is something that I find that I'm probably a little lengthy on, but it's something sure. that I really, I, I pride myself in. Uh, so I think ultimately those are the things that I probably should have focused on more. Mm-hmm. But I was so focused on learning the data, learning the tools, learning right. all of those things that I was quote I was told were requirements, quote unquote requirements to do the job. Yeah. Instead of going and seeking the problem and learning those things as mm-hmm. I went. So that was the challenge and that was the way that I kind of went about it. Right. Every culture is different, but Northwest Arkansas is really unique. Really? Yeah. What makes it unique? So kind of one of the things we talked about last time, um, I'm going to find you here. Sure. And the reason I ask that is because, you know, I'm relatively new to the area. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been coming here for a while, but... Um... So I shouldn't say it's unique because I haven't seen everything else, but from well, no, what I've, but, from what yeah. I've told, from what I've been told by people, um, I think it's unique for a number of reasons, but one of them is there's just a real diversity of people in this right. world, in this world that are here in this, what I call microcosm. Yeah, totally. Northwest Arkansas is, in my eyes, a microcosm of all that is good about Arkansas. You've got the beauty of the outdoors. <laughs> you've got um, lots of history sure. here. Uh, you've obviously got a great university or, or few around here. And then I think the other thing is you've got a blend of culture. You don't have that in c- central Arkansas where mm-hmm. I grew up. You have people, generations, whose families have thrived in that same 20-mile radius yeah. for their entire last 200 years. They have built their entire you know, foundation of their lives in one place. Mm-hmm. It's not so much here. In my eyes, from what I've from what I've witnessed, and I think you'll see this on your when you do exit surveys of people leaving Northwest Arkansas after they graduate. Maybe 50, 40 percent of them stick around mm-hmm. um, if they have a job here locally, and some of them might choose to stay here even if they don't have a job locked down just because of what right. is going on here in Northwest Arkansas. But I think more than anything, um, the other fifty percent will probably go explore, mm-hmm. and that's what I see when I look at this microcosm of what's great in Arkansas. You have everyone from every walk of life, really. Yeah. And that that sort of diversity is what makes communication and professionalism so important. Yeah. It makes reading a situation so important. Um, Kind of touching off that, one of the things we talked about previously, and one of the things that that really interested me and and wanted me to talk to you further in, in this was the idea of a holistic view of communication. Yeah. You said that was really important to you um, and sort of we need a holistic approach to communication and professionalism. Uh, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? What What do you think that's going to mean in the future too? Now, from a statistics perspective, I don't know what the government would call Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> I think micropolitan or, you know, we're not metropolitan anyway, right. but we might be micropolitan or whatever it is yeah. at this point. We're still small. Yeah. So to me... Being a professional cannot cannot be something you flip on at seven thirty whenever you go into the office or eight o'clock or even eight thirty some of the more lenient yeah. places, and 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 end at four thirty or five thirty whenever you leave. To sure. me, professionalism I think has a lot more to do with your ethics and your character, mm-hmm. which obviously you either have or you don't. It's hard to acquire those things late in life. I think you can you yeah. can you can be forced into learning those things maybe through challenge, tribulations, things like that that come come up. Right. But I, I really think that you're kind of you're who you are when you enter the workforce. And I would totally agree with that. I think I think you can at face value you, when you interview someone you know 
are they going to be a good fit? Mm-hmm. So not to get off on a tangential conversation, but no. in, in reality, this community is so small. Mm-hmm. When I go out to a local restaurant, if I go to shop anywhere, the odds of me seeing someone that I interact with at work are extremely high, especially considering the client that I serve. Mm-hmm. I see, I, I get to interact with, so on t- today, was a pretty normal day. I did spend about three hours in the home office, but I probably interacted with 15 different clients, 12 to 15 wow. different clients. A lot of that has to do with how they're structured in their own, own teams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they sit in clusters. But I have a lot of touch bases. So the odds of me seeing one of those people, they all live within a 10, 15, maybe 20, 25 right. mile radius of here. It's pretty high. So you're, you carry that character, you carry the, the who you are into your real world, into this mm-hmm. culture out here in Northwest Arkansas. And I think ultimately the professionalism that you show can't shut off at the door when you close the light off because you get to interact with your, your coworkers and your, your clients in this area a lot. Yeah. And, you know, specifically, it's the conversations you have when you're not at work that I think probably define you better. Because I think mm-hmm. we all do our best to fit the role, fit the organization, right. and exhibit everything that's being asked of us within that. Um, and, of course, you can have your <laughs> vices or whatever after when you leave. But at the end of the day, it is a really small community here. Yeah. No, I, I agree. The small community thing is... It's something I think that is, is interesting in this area because we are such a diverse area, but it's also small. Yeah. I mean, what's well, supposed Roughly to speaking, hit a million people by 2050 or something, expectation yeah. growing 33 people a day or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it feels bigger than that. It really, But it's really not. It really does. It does because I think most of the jobs, most of the commerce that we are witnessing and seeing like in an easy way mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty pocketed. Yeah. You have the, we have the pocket that we can see out of these windows here. Right. Where but you on can the other see, side of the window, we have like mountains and hills and just open land. We have opportunity yeah. for growth. So it's, you know, it's definite. It's definite there. But I don't want to. I don't want to come off and say that having a holistic approach to professionalism only should exist in the small area. Right. But I truly think that you are who you are when the lights. You know, when the when you turn the lights off and you go home. Mm-hmm. I think you have to carry that over because if you don't then you're not being an authentic person when you are at work yes and that authenticity is something that you can fake for a while but your people are going to catch on right that you don't have the values you don't have the character you don't have the ethics that you should have when you speak because you right. can't keep that kind of facade up for that long no you can't it's interesting there's some research done um the Harvard Business School or Harvard Business Review, rather, Nick Morgan, several years ago, read an article that I would, I actually still do have all my students read called uh, "How to Be an Authentic Speaker." And one of the things he talks about is don't try to get up there and be somebody else. Mm-hmm. You can't present effectively if you're trying to play a role. Yeah, you have to be authentic because we associate authenticity with credibility. You know, whether you want to talk about it, it's because of Enron. Ever since Enron, you know, sort of early two thousands, yeah. all of the sort of corporate malfeasance that went on, we we associate credibility or authenticity with credibility. And 
you just can't fake that. And it's it's actually funny because if you think about it, um, when you think of comedians or you think of people who are uh, do impressions, the good ones are really good. And the reason they're really good is because you can believe that that's the... You close your eyes or you look at them and you can really see... Right. That's the person that they're trying to be, They're capturing right? that essence They're like way. the half of a 1% that can do what you're saying. Now, granted, they can't do it for every person. Right. But no, you're absolutely right. I think that's what makes that niche so unique, right? Right. True. But also, going back to our point about authenticity, I think... I think it's really important to, to talk about and, and something we should talk about a little bit more because I know, you know, going back to what you said previously, so many people try to become the role instead of make the role suit them. Yeah. And so many people don't take that advantage. I mean, you know, I know my first job um, struggled with it some for the first year and a half, and it was because I was trying to be the role instead mm-hmm. of inhabit the role. Yep. But anyway, just sort of... Well, I think, yeah, you can lose yourself really quickly if you're not being true to yourself. And I think part of that is, like I said earlier, I think you have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of uh, introspection done in the last, let's say, 18 months, my my own personal self, uh, because I have goals and I want to make sure I'm achieving those goals. And I'm reaching a point where I've been at the organization I've been with for four years and um, a couple weeks now. So, um, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) To me, it feels like I'm an old man. Um, because, (laughs) uh, really though, I mean, this community here allows for a lot of growth in people's careers at a really expansive rate. Like, you know, I have, I have co, I have coworkers that have gone on and have, are on two different jobs now that I've, that, you know, I've, that, that haven't left, but maybe, you know, they spent a year, year and a half with me. So that means in two and a half years, they've moved on and done something else and right. and then done something else again. And now they're with a different company. We're not talking mm-hmm. about internal growth, which is great in and of itself. Sure. And you can do that here too. Yeah. But the, the opportunity does exist, but you can't get there if you're not yourself. Right. We talked previously about brand management. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about that now. I can't remember who it was at, at, the, uh, at the Walton College that I... I sat through the lecture, and it actually, you know what? I think I think it had to do with the social media that she manages the the brands in a roundabout way, in a holistic way, both in social media, probably print and all digital, sure. all forms of their uh, their their outward brand in this area. And she she taught a class, and you know, a lot of that was about LinkedIn and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, and um, I think. When I grew up, I want to say, and I think all of us think that our, our childhood was, not all of us, but most of us would probably say that our, our childhood was the greatest, right? Like, totally. you know, had this experience, didn't have those experiences. Um, you know, everyone comes from different walks of life. But for me, I had parents who, I grew up modest means, you know, I had parents who would love to have been able to give me everything that I ever wanted, mm-hmm. but that just wasn't reality. And one of the great things about it was that I grew up without a lot of technology until I was probably 10, maybe 12. Um, so whereas now we have the digital native generation right. that has grown up with mom and dad's iPhone 4 right. or greater in their hands throughout their entire life. And so you know, some of the people that are listening to this today that are in classes today at the university – 
may never remember a time where they didn't have access to a computer. I wasn't like that. I didn't get a computer in my home until I was probably 10 or 12. Yeah. My high school, of course, had or you know, schooling. We obviously used them in school for library and you know, typing and things like that. But I didn't have to necessarily concern myself with always being connected to the outside world. Yeah. I bring I say that up say I say that and set the stage only to say that we don't live in that world today. I I'm curious about we talked about the generational gap and yeah. generational divide earlier. How does social media and brand fit into that in your experience? So as it pertains to the workforce, right? I think it it's challenging. I think you you look at the horizon that we're in, and I think that most most companies that are innovative, that see themselves as uh, not trendy, that's a bad word, but yeah. probably accepting mm-hmm. of change, realize that there should be a separation between your social profile and who you are. Mm-hmm. I think the second that you go on to Facebook or LinkedIn or well LinkedIn is where you're supposed to do this but Facebook or Twitter and you and you broadcast to the world that you're a part of a specific organization regardless of whether you have a little disclaimer that says <clears throat> these thoughts are my own people can very quickly in this world take everything you say on the surface without context right they can copy and paste what they want they can cite you they can screenshot you and if your employer is anywhere on your profile, right? Hello, HR. Hello, whatever. It's so easy, and I think you know that doesn't just go for people who work in local school districts. That goes for people who work for multinational global companies mm-hmm. that don't have time to put up with you getting online and ranting about something or giving your perspective on a political issue. When that is your right as a as a human, but mm-hmm. you have to be you know, a citizen of this you know of the country, I should say. Right. You you have to be cognizant that if you're also willing to identify with the company that you work for on that platform, you also should be able to accept the ramifications of right. them taking that as a representation of the company. So what's the answer then? Is it to not mention your company name? What what So does? to me to me I have never since I was in high school and worked for Chick-fil-A, I have never put the company that I have worked for on huh. Facebook. Um, not that I get on there and post, like, pictures of me having... Things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, in all honesty, I think Facebook has always... Social media was always a way for me to keep up with what was going on in the world because I've never found a media outlet that really served me the way that I needed to be served. Right. At least lately, in the last five years specifically, um... Social media has always been the way that I can kind of opt into the things I want to hear about. I think about Twitter. Yeah. Until they've done what they've done recently about getting, you know, the advertisements and, you know, suggested tweets and things like that. That gets kind of annoying, but that's always why I used it. So I never really, I never use it as a platform to go on a banter about a social issue. Um, You might, you might see some old tweets that I made uh, regarding, you know, Razorback athletics, but that's just because I was a great fan. And I think that I had a unique experience being a part of the Razorback marching band and having been, you know, a part of the Walton college and whatever it be, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I do, I did pay for the name that I have on that sidewalk and I was glad that it, that it, uh, that it's there. Um, And I think it, 
having been so closely connected to the university, my wife being there too, we saw things from a different perspective that is, I think, sometimes valuable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're going to find that on there. But nothing that I think, the, the old phrase of, and I think newspaper is funny, but the old phrase of never say anything online that you wouldn't want printed on the front page of a newspaper could not be more true. Right. I mean, just because it's easy to tweet doesn't mean you should like lose all decorum and dignity and be someone you're not. Yep. Or show the side of you that you would keep under wraps. Again, it goes back to being authentic and yeah. having your character and having values. You know, even if you go under a pseudonym <laughs> right. online. Which or is also kind of funky fake. To me. It's funky yeah. to me, right? Um, it is funky to me. I think if you're not willing to... You know, obviously, I th- stand behind um, your tweets. Yeah, stand behind it. I think it, <laughs> if you're not willing to say it to someone's face, why would you say it online? Right. But I think to answer your question, your original question was, do you not mention your employer? I don't honestly think that there's a place for you to do that yeah. in today's world. I think if you do it, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And I think honestly, and it's scary to say this, but I think your family members have to be just as guarded about making comments mm-hmm. about the workplace that you work in. You know, I think think about like a public school teacher. If their husband goes on online uh, or, or wife goes online and says, you know, my husband or my wife or maybe not even referencing them personally, but the comp- the, the organization they work for, the public school they work for um, is in, in some form of legal issue or um, or even a social issue around here. Right. If you go online and make a comment about it. I have heard of people being not reprimanded, but definitely consulted spoken on to. and yeah, spoken to consulted on. Hey, this is not necessarily the best look for you. This is not necessarily the best look for us. We obviously can't deny you of your right to speak, but please be cautious and make certain that your spouse is also cautious. Right. Well, I think don't treat social media as sort of a chance to just unmediated like subconscious sort of like the worst parts of you or the the most reactive parts of you all of the anger and frustration yeah. and anxiety and tension that's been building for the week because you just had a rough week <laughs> yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode we'll continue our conversation with ryan next time if you want to come visit us in person you can find the business communication lab in the walton college of business room 118 